Macworld Podcast number 300 for May 9th, 2012. Welcome to another Macworld Podcast. I'm Chris Breen. Yes, we've reached podcast number 300. To mark this special occasion, I've invited everyone's favorite genetic abomination, the Macalope, to offer his unique view of today's world of technology. Now join us on a faraway plane. Today we welcome back the Macalope, live on tape from an undisclosed location. Welcome, Lope. Thank you. Always good to be here. So the last couple of times we've spoken, we've talked about one of your main missions, which is skewering pundits, reporters, and I'll use this in air quotes, news sites. I'm sure we'll have the chance to do that again, but this time I wanted to spend some time talking about reality. So the issues that face Apple, its customers, and the technical world at large. Fair enough? Sure. All right, let's start with the bad guy. In the past, it was pretty easy for Apple users to know who the bad guy was. First, it was IBM, and then it's Microsoft. Now we've got Apple battling Google, Samsung, Nokia, Microsoft, Amazon, and heaven knows who else. So for those people having a tough time sorting out their arch nemesis, which company are we now supposed to hate? Uh, Google. Next question. That's 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 a bit tongue in cheek. Um, there, it's. I mean, these are all big companies, and if you really hate one of them, you're probably investing too much emotional time in this stuff. It, back in the nineties, it was it was a little different. It was easier to hate Microsoft because they were selling what we as Mac users felt was a sort of a cheap knockoff of the Mac OS at the expense of Apple. Um, but now, I mean, if you're a Mac Apple fan. It's hard to argue that anyone's selling anything at the expense of Apple. So, I mean, hating any of these these competitors, I think, would probably be going to the going to the extreme. It certainly seems to be that their biggest competitor right now is probably is probably Google, um, simply because of Android, and um, and to a lesser degree now now Microsoft uh, because of still you know st- still competing with Windows and now competing uh, to a much lesser degree with um, Windows Phone software. Um, but they, yeah, they, Microsoft is almost an ally in a way against fighting Google and, and fighting Google because, you know, they take a certain, because of the, all their, the patents that they hold, they take a, a certain dollar amount, I think it's something like 10 to $15 per each Android handset that's sold. So in a way, that helps that helps Apple by making making it more expensive for Android OEMs to sell those devices and makes it that much easier for someone to consider uh, buying an iPhone instead. Um, and I think there's there are other, there's lots of other things involved in this. I mean, you know, there's other reasons why you you know other things that Google does that you could say uh, you hate. I mean, lots of privacy concerns um, and you know advertising things and targeted advertising and that kind of thing that people just just don't like for for personal privacy reasons um but uh i mean so i i can understand how someone might hate the things that google does but as far as hating google i mean i use many of their services um so it's it's hard for me to say someone should hate them well do you think there's any way that you can avoid using google i think you could but i mean some of you know the reason that we use some of their services is you know, tradition at least to date has been because that they were they were the best. Um, they had the best search 
for a long time and they uh, had a great email product. I, I Lately, it seems like those have both um, met with some troubles. I, I don't find I get as good results with Google search that I used to get. And, um, you know, I think there's some pretty good reasons to have privacy concerns about both search and, and email. So it's hard to not use them. Um, but you can. I mean, I've switched. I've switched to Bing for search on probably. I've switched to Bing on my my Macs, and I think I still use Google on my iOS devices. Um, so I kind of try and split the split the baby there. Okay. Well, we've talked about Google, but what about Samsung and Apple? Yeah, I mean, again, so Samsung provides. I mean, sort of like Microsoft. I mean, Samsung provides a lot of the components that go into Apple devices. So you know, they're they're helping out Apple there. Um, and at the same time, they're. I mean. <laughs> You know, we like to argue, and I think there's a very good case to be made for the, the idea that Samsung is just literally ripping off Apple in their designs. Um, I think if you look at the devices and even the, apparently some of the uh, things that they put up in, in on their displays, they've stolen Apple icons and things like that. So they're they're clearly taking cues from Apple and coming up with their designs, and they're doing fairly well. Because of you know partly because of that, um, I, they're also doing fairly well just because they make so many different devices. I mean they they have their scatter their their approach is to sort of a scatter shot to try and fill every niche market that the iPhone isn't getting. Um, and so they have 3D phones, they have phones you know giant phones with styluses and and you know everything that you you can imagine basically, and and try to try to cover the entire market where Apple has made devices that are targeted towards the greatest need. Well, how do you think their relationship works out? Because, as you say, on one hand, Samsung makes a lot of parts that go into Apple products. On the other hand, the two companies are suing the bejesus out of each other all the time to the extent where the U.S. government has basically stepped in and said, you two need to work this out. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I think that's. I think that's a good thing because I don't. I mean, despite the fact that Samsung is is copying Apple, I mean, I think Apple's doing pretty well, and I'm not a big fan of of these patent suits uh, because just for a variety of reasons. I mean, we as as iOS users saw what happened with the. Um, and I, I can't remember the name of the company right now, but the. The company that had a patent on in-app thought they had a patent that covered in-app purchases, um, and uh, was suing independent developers to try and get them to pay them a portion of what they were making off of in-app purchases. Um, you know, and, and they they were a company that had basically bought this patent from somebody else, and you know, we're, they weren't doing anything with it. They were just sitting on it and waiting for somebody to use it and to try and, and to try and sue them. For money, um, I think that kind of thing is it doesn't that doesn't provide any value. That's not the kind of uh, thing people should really be rooting for. So, um, and it's hard to it's hard to to root against that, and then at the same time root for Apple to try and sue somebody else because of a patent dispute. I mean, I'd rather see you know I know that Steve Jobs didn't want to do it this way, but I would rather see them tr try and work that situation out. So to the extent that the government can get involved and try and get them to do that, I think that's actually a good thing. Okay. Now it's time to speculate a bit. Two of the biggest players on the internet, Google and Facebook, base their businesses on advertising and using personal information to feed that advertising. 
You think this can go on indefinitely, or is there going to be some kind of bubble to the point where eventually we're as targeted as we're ever going to be, and advertisers realize that maybe this information isn't worth all that? Um, I don't know if I would call it if I would say that it's a bubble or not. Um, I do know that I don't think that I've, to the best of my knowledge, have ever clicked on a Facebook or Google ad, and. It just seems like the, the the kinds of advertising that I and I'm maybe and I'm probably not all I can speak to is my personal experience because this isn't really my area. Adver- online advertising is not my area of expertise, but um, it seems like the things that work better for me are uh, advertising like advertising networks like the Deck, um, where they have one ad. I mean, they basically have one ad on the page that hosts the ad and it's 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 always something that's either used by the person who owns the site um, or is uh, something that they feel like they can easily recommend and also you know the podcasts that I listen to I've I've tried a number of different products and recommended a number of different products based on advertising that's done by hosts who actually use the products themselves and that's the kind of thing that I think really, really works well. And it's harder to do because you have to build relationships and you have to know the people that sell the products, whereas these guys just want to write an algorithm that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that chunks through a whole, a, a whole collection of data and spits out a result. And I don't think the end result of that works very well. You know, I agree because... Uh, and maybe it's maybe we're just in a, in a class of users who are, I, don't, I, I hate to say savvier, but I will, because I never ever touch Google ads or mm-hmm. Facebook ads. Um, and you're right. If I happen to see on Twitter, for example, um, somebody I follow who I trust who recommends something, I'll give it a look. But uh, just some random link on a website somewhere. It's like you know, I may love the website, but I understand this is Google advertising and. And some machine has written this this link for me, and, and I'm not interested in it, and I don't touch it. Right. I mean, it, it, it seems to be targeted towards the advertiser and not towards the, the user, ultimately, because they're trying to reach, they think they if they, all they have to do is reach this certain group of people, and they can sell them whatever, whatever product they're selling, even if it's not any good. And I don't think that works. Do you imagine advertisers going to wake up at some point and just say, you know what, this doesn't work? I, I would like to think that the smart ones know that that's the way to do it, uh, it you know, is to more do the relationship route. But I don't know that we'll, I mean, <laughs> given the world that we live in, Chris, I'm not sure that we'll ever actually reach that level of um, self-awareness. Let's let's move on back to, um, to what we really care about, and that is um, sports teams and, and battling it out. <laughs> That's what it's all. That's what it's all like, right? I mean, that's what this all is, isn't it? It's sports. Or, it's sports or religion, right? We want to win, um, and clearly, Apple now is winning. And so, you know, given the nature of this podcast and the people listen to it, yay for our team and, uh, and hurrah! We're let's number be. one. We're number yes. one. So, but is that all? I mean, we're we're number one because Apple has a, more money than anybody else, and then. Um, but then you talk to people who are pro Android because that's their team, and they say, "Yeah, but look, we have market share because we have more devices out there that run our platform." So, can there be two winners? Can both be true, or really, is it all about profit? 
Well, I, I think it's all... I, it depends on whose perspective you look at it. I mean, from Apple's perspective, from a corporate perspective, uh, it's really about profit. I mean, that's what drives, that's what drives companies is, is making profit and, and growth. And um, from a user perspective, you want to know that your platform is going to be sustainable. You're going to get good devices, and you be you are going to be able to make a long term investment in something. So that you know, if I decide to buy a whole bunch of apps on one platform, I'm not going to turn around the next day and find that um, I can no longer use you know my the investment that I've made. And from both those perspectives, I think Apple's clearly clearly winning. The thought has always been that market share, which Android leads in, would drive developers, uh, because basically that's sort of what happened uh, on the Windows side in, back in the 90s. And uh, the, the problem with that is that Android users don't buy, pay for as many apps as iOS users, even though there aren't quite as many iOS users as there are Android users they are much more likely to go out and, and spend money on apps. And I think part of the reason for that, um, and a number of people have, have noted this, is that when people buy Android phones, they're much more likely to be going into a uh, carrier store and just saying, you know, my, my flip phone died, I need a new phone. And they're like, okay, well, you know, this one's free. And it does this, this, and this, you know, and you can play Angry Birds on it if you want to. And they're like, okay, I'll take that one. I mean, these are the people who owned a, owned a Motorola Razor and are now um, upgrading to something, you know, just upgrading to the next free phone. And a lot of the free phones are based on Android now. And they're not necessarily going in to buy a smartphone. They're just going in to buy a phone. Whereas people who buy iPhones, they're really much more likely to be, and I mean, there's some broad generalizations I'm making, obviously, but they're much more likely to be buying a platform phone. They're, they're making an investment in the iOS platform, and that's why they tend to buy more, more applications. Okay. Now, I know that you speak to the Winotar every so often, and at one time you two were, you know, fighting it out on nearly equal footing, but these days you seem to treat him with pity rather than respect. So... Do you think Windows 8 will do anything to change your regard for him and the company that he loves? Uh, yes and no. I think that Windows 8 is has some real improvements in it. Even from you know, even as a as someone with a head shaped like a like a classic Macintosh, I can say that. And I mean, it's actually not bad to look at now uh, because of the Metro interface. And the, the problem, I, I just wonder how easy it's going to be for people to make this jump, for Windows users to make this jump, particularly Windows users in a corporate environment. It seems like a lot of them have recently gone through um, a big upgrade going from XP, which they used for years, to finally getting on Windows 7. Uh, and the economy is still not great. I just don't see that a lot of them are going to turn around and do an upgrade to Windows 8, uh, particularly to an operating system that's going to require a lot of training. And, and I think that, I mean, to a certain degree, that may be true for, for consumers too. I'm sure there are going to be a lot of consumers who want to go out and buy the, the next best, the, the next greatest thing. And windows eight has, you know, has some things going for it. Um, but it's also, it's also a big change and it's a big risk for them. I, I think they deserve a lot of credit for having done this. Uh, but to a certain degree, they're 
they're kind of betting a lot on this on this thing that is pulling the rug out from from their user base to a certain degree. So I don't know. I don't know how well it's going to work out for them. It'll be interesting to see. And uh, he may be he'll he'll either be you know coming by and and laughing at me, or he'll either be coming over and crying on my shoulder. Neither, neither of which is very pretty, by the way. <laughs> particularly the second, particularly the latter, actually, even though that, you know, ostensibly works out better for me. I have his head on my shoulder, and that's, nobody likes that. No, does, does he drink before this happens? Oh, well, uh, yeah. So it... <laughs> Usually, yeah. Oh. oh it's well. not, it's, it's okay. ugly. It's just, it's ugly. I don't know if you've ever seen a drunk, if you've ever seen a drunk Winotar before. I, I hope never to. So, um... Right, so let's move on. What's today's most conceivable yet idiotic rumor regarding Apple? <laughs> conceivable yet idiotic. Yes. That's a that's a tough that's a tricky uh, combination there. It, well, it is tricky because I mean we're not really talking about unicorn tears. We're talking about yes. something that Apple could conceivably design, like a, let's say a mini iPad, for example. Right. right. But they would never ever do it. Yeah, it's a tough choice between that. I would, yeah, the mini iPad is is one example, uh, and then the the TV is the other example. It seems like the TV has more. You know, if you look at the quote evidence unquote, the TV has more of Steve Jobs backing because the, the quotes from his biography seem to indicate that that's what he was one of the things that he was thinking about, and that the iPad Mini was something that he sort of disregarded. And and the iPad Mini has I mean has some difficulties in terms of you know, trying to figure out if if developers would have to recode their applications for a different size uh, screen, and so that raises some questions about whether or not that's actually possible or, or easy to do. I mean, it's certainly possible, but um, do they want to go back and, and try and get developers to do that? So. I don't know. One of those two things. I it, I always have a hard time <laughs> predicting. I'm terrible at predicting what Apple's going to come out with, and I usually try and just. I mean, my 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 area of expertise is just uh, um, taking care of people who say stupid things about Apple, which is a lot easier than tr- trying to <laughs> uh, trying to predict the future. Right, because if you if you do try to predict the future, then you become one of those. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And the few times that so I've it's tried better it, to be on the other side. The few times that I've tried it have not worked out very well, so I, I kind of gave up on that. Okay, well, speaking of stupid people, let's name check a few of them. Um, <laughs> because you follow this stuff, which publications? And again, I'll put that in air quotes. Yeah. Um, produce the worst, and you could define what that means. Tech coverage in the business. It's tough. That's a tough question because there are so many worthy contenders. Um, I think there are three names that kind of jump to mind. Uh, Business Insider. And that's a hard one because they actually occasionally do some some good pieces. Uh, but the things that we mostly notice are uh, the kind of headline-grabbing uh, jabs at at Apple, um, for a long time last year, they were doing, you know, they were big on this whole thing about how Android was winning and were practically the ones who, who coined it. Um, the iOS was dead in the water and, and Henry Blodgett, who's the guy that runs that site was very open on Twitter about the fact that he was jabbing 
Apple Apple users. So um, kind of a jerk. Um, and then uh, the other one that I've I've noticed recently is Forbes, and I don't oh. you know it's like I had not followed Forbes for a long time, um, you know since it was the, the magazine in your dentist's waiting room, and never really looked at them online. And last year when Steve Jobs uh, died, some of the things that those people wrote were just unbelievable, um, really really very inappropriate. Uh, so. And again, they also, but sometimes they also have people who do some good, do some good stuff. I think the problem with the, both those guys is they just, well, the Business Insider is clearly just trying to get, is trying to, to link bait. Um, and Forbes, I think, is just doesn't really have a have a real strategy behind what they're trying to do, and they just they just grab everything you know and everyone that they can, and they've gotten so many people writing for them that they're they've got some good guys and some bad guys. Um, and then the other one is is eWeek, which is a is a is a different example of both of those uh, because they they are they are clearly trying to get for, go for hits, but in a different way. I mean, so they they keep publishing these top ten lists, these top ten slideshows, which are just awful. They're the is the it's the worst form of of online commentary that. It, you could possibly read. I mean, and basically the whole idea is just to have you click through and see, you know, not only, you know, what do you see? Where, whereas you could read something on Business Insider and just have to deal with one page of nonsensical text and advertisements. This time you have to get 10 pages of nonsensical text and advertisements. So it's, uh, it's even more of a poke in the eye. Well, it seems that mainstream publications now are throwing the Apple name into the headlines simply because they're going to get more hits. Even you yeah. know, So Apple gets accused of X when it turns out that everybody is doing X, but Apple gets the headline. Right, right, right. I mean, there's plenty of examples of that. Uh, it started, I mean, the first I noticed it anyway was, was Greenpeace years ago. Um, they seemed to quickly latch on to this idea that Apple was popular and that if they um, took on Apple, they'd get a lot of headlines. Uh, and then, and then was you know then Mike Daisy, and then all these people about the Foxconn situation, and now uh, the tax um, situation where you know, Apple's not paying taxes. Well, you know, <laughs> welcome to America. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, now on the other side of the coin, in your years of doing this, have you radically changed your mind about a particular pundit? So, if, for example, you start out, you thought you know this person really doesn't have a clue what they're talking about. And then after a while of reading them, either they changed or your perceptions changed. And you thought, you know, actually, this person is pretty good. I don't know if that's happened in that way. I have seen pundits turn around um, where it seemed like they were writing things that were really ridiculous about Apple. And then as they probably started buying Apple devices when Apple became more popular and they wanted to try it, they realized that it was actually, actually their, their stuff isn't, isn't bad. <laughs> um, Adrian Kingsley Hughes, who writes for ZDNet, was one of those. He, um, years ago, I had to take apart a couple of, of his articles that just didn't make any sense. And slowly he's gotten he's gotten much better. Um, and now I actually link to him favorably quite a bit. And then there's some others who I've had a hard time swallowing what they say when it's bad about Apple, but it turns out they've actually, you know, mostly been right. 
um, Ed Bott is probably one. Um, I mean, I think he has made great hay with Apple's security woes over the past year, and um, I think he's in many cases made mountains out of molehills. But uh, at the same time, he's basically, you know, when you get down to, you know, I mean, he, he would spend an entire week writing 40 pieces on um, on one particular Trojan, and, you know, while I don't think it merits that level of coverage from a win, you know, someone who is ostensibly a Windows blogger, um, every single, you know, most, most of the pieces that he wrote were technically correct, and, and Apple really should be doing better about this stuff. So, um, sometimes that's, there's, there have been one or two instances where you have to try not to get your uh, hackles up and, and actually read what the guy's saying and, and uh, if you find that they're right. It's very painful. I don't, like, I don't like doing that, frankly. I would much rather make fun of somebody. It's just, e- it's just easier. <laughs> right. And, it's and it comes enough. naturally to me. So. Yeah, because I was, I was wondering, you know, because we have these methods of communication. You have a Twitter account. Uh, do some of the people you go after every once in a while tweet you and say, uh, you know, either something complimentary, like you're right, or yeah. you're a jerk, and then you have to sort yeah. of deal with them one-on-one instead of anonymously across the internet? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and my relationship with, I mean, Bot and I both follow each other on Twitter, and um, and when I've actually, you know, direct messaged each other a couple of times, um, and... And also, you know, and, and also laughed at other people together, you know. <laughs> That's the funny thing about, you know, like with the Winotar, we can always make fun of the Android users. Um, but at the same time, I know that you know, he doesn't consider me, he doesn't particularly like me. <laughs> so it's an interesting relationship. There have been a couple of people who I have um, skewered who have taken it very well. Um and I always, I always like to see that. Who would say, "Okay, I don't agree with this guy, but uh, that was pretty funny." And yeah. I like that. I mean, I like someone who can take a hit and not get uh, completely bent out of shape about it. Because you know, at the end of the day, you're you're being made fun of by uh, a cartoon uh, antelope Mac human combination. So it's not it's not necessarily supposed to be um, the end of the world, right? So, to close up, are there any trends that you're particularly interested in now? Um, the one thing that keeps amazing me is uh, the Apple doomsday cult. And, I mean, obviously, Apple is still riding high right now and will be for the foreseeable future. I mean, if you look at their fundamentals, they're just, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, we've never really seen a company like this before. And yet, at the same time, you can find somebody almost every day and certainly every week who is predicting that Apple is, is on the downslide right now, that they'll, they'll be um, in the doldrums two years, two to five years from now, which I think is absurd. And most of this seems to be based about the fact, around the fact that Steve Jobs is no longer around and that, that Tim Cook is not, is no Steve Jobs, and you, sir, are no Steve Jobs. Well, yeah, that's obvious. Um, but I think that the culture of the company is still intact and as long as the company keeps the same core set of managers and they've spent a lot of money to try and make sure that they are going to keep the same core set of managers for at least you know around 10 years or so um that they'll continue to do well i don't see 
Steve Jobs was great, but he wasn't perfect. I mean, if you read that biography of him, you, you can see certain examples where he wasn't really making the best decision, and he had to be talked into making the best decision. So uh, I think John Gruber occasionally makes the point that there's, there, you could actually make the case that Apple might be better without Steve Jobs. Um, you know, nobody knows if that's true or not, but you could make that case. So I don't understand why people seem to be obsessed with trying to be the first person to predict Apple's imminent downfall. Um, and I guess the, the whole thing is that they feel that there's no cost to them if they're wrong, which is sad. Well, except that eventually their name is going to come up in your column. That's true. I do what I can. Well, well, thank you very much. And, and I don't want to keep any longer because I understand it's rutting season. That's right. Uh, you can find the MacLope on Macworld.com every Saturday. And if you're a Macworld insider, you can read his column every weekday as well. So thanks for joining me, MacLope. Thank you, Chris. And that wraps up this edition of the Macworld podcast. I'd like to thank the MacLope and, of course, you for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line at podcastmacworld.com, or you can leave us a voicemail at 415-967-3622. This is Chris Breen reminding you that you can find more Apple, macOS, iOS, and technology news, views, and information at macworld.com. See you around.